I was 31 years old, almost 31 years old, wasn't even 31, when the journey that was laid out before me was suddenly a major climb, a steep, tough, and as it turned out, the beginning of a long climb. Okay, let's face it. That is what much of life is, right? It's what it is right until the end. It was not that I had planned and not that I even initiated it, but at the same time that our second child came into our home, I was asked to take on the role of lead pastor of the church that I had come to as a youth pastor the year before. In my mind, this was a huge mountain I did not know if I was ready for. I knew it would require another level of work commitment and a higher level of wisdom. LaDonna saw it as a mountain too, but just as big, just as daunting, but she saw it in the light of the beauty of the morning sun, perhaps the setting sun, and she said, oh, this is what we are called to. And she gave me one of those pump me up, kick my butt, I didn't marry a wuss talks. And so we took it on. We, we prayed about it. We discussed at length, including the implications it would have on our family life. And she said, Mel, we're a team. And, and I realize this will mean a lot of late evenings and early mornings for you. I can handle that. So we took on the challenge. And although we both encountered the reality that the climb was not always in the sun, the weather part of the challenge, as we talked about last summer, we endured and I was humbly amazed at her remarkable resilience and endurance. What it took me a while to figure out was that she had found a way to make lemonade out of the lemons in her situation, especially the late nights alone. On my way home, especially if it was late, I would prepare for a cool reception. But it was almost always warm. And I was so amazed. What a wife. One day I was vacuuming the floor as we got ready for a small group at our house that evening. And in front of the fireplace... The, the nice wood fireplace. We had two love seats facing each other, and as I moved the love seat to vacuum under it, there underneath the love seat were about 15 books stacked in stacks of three, hidden under the love slate. You see, LaDonna loves reading, and although she loved sharing life with me, sharing life with me meant she rarely had time to just curl up and read. And so after she put our preschool kids to bed on cold winter nights, she would make a fire in the wood fireplace in our living room, curl up on the floor in front of the fire, and read. I think, I'm, I'm sure, she hasn't told me this, but I'm sure at times it was like, oh, I hope he doesn't come home yet. <laughs> During this time, we developed a relationship with a couple our age, with young kids, and the husband took on this dream of climbing Mount Everest. And to the detriment of his life in many ways, he, he gave all of himself to fulfilling that dream. LaDonna became intrigued with the lure of Everest. And, and so she read every book in our city library about Canadians and Everest. There's a number of them. And she would often share with me some of the challenges and the strategies and the tragedies of climbing Mount Everest and, and other dangerous mountains. And as she shared the the details with me, it became obvious that one of the underlying messages in what she chose to share it and how she chose to share it was this. Mel, you would never do anything this stupid, would you? <laughs> and I'm saying to myself and, and sometimes to her, what do you mean? The mountain we've taken on is plenty enough for me, thank you. I, I don't know what you see as you look at the mountain ahead of you. 
Some of us see the mountain through a, through a romantic le- lens. We're perpetual dreamers. Yes, let's take on this beautiful, glorious challenge. Some of us are seeing the mountain and saying, life is so tough. How can I do it? Why God? Right? Some of us are seeing the mountain and we're saying, you know, I'm not going to take on that beast. I'm going to go around it. Or I'll just sit right here and wait until the mountain disappears a little bit more. Something more realistic. What, something that I want comes up. We'd rather life not be a mountain. We'd like it to be cruising, coasting, smooth sailing. For some of us, we're pretty sure the mountain is there, but there's too much fog, too many obstacles in the way to see it, and we don't even know if we're on the right path. Even if we can see the mountain ahead occasionally, the flat terrain of our journey to get there is, is, is so dry, like a desert or a thick jungle, we can't see the, the, the next step where we're supposed to go, or even a tantalizing city jungle with distractions that lure us from the climb with pitfalls that take us out. And the lines that begin to dominate our thinking are, this is not what I signed up for. I wasn't ready for this. Didn't see it coming. Right? Some of us are afraid as we go into this year that that's what our year might be. As LaDonna was reading about climbing Everest, one of the things that intrigued her was the significance the all-encompassing importance of base camp. The place, the planned place on the journey for preparation, for orientation, for calibration. If you're going to make the climb, you need a good base camp. Do you have one? What does your base camp look like? Is it working for you? Is it working not just to make you feel good about yourself, about your life, but to prepare you to take charge of your life as life comes at you in unpredictable ways with its difficulties, with its distractions, to take it on with with discipline and focus and discernment? To take it on with the God who in Jesus is with us on the journey. Do you have a base camp? For the next four Sundays, we're going to be exploring some of the basics of what a base camp in life is all about. In the journey of life. Base camp principles and practices that prepare us. Not not just for the dangers and challenges of the climb. But also for the density and the disorientation of the jungle. For the dryness and barrenness of the desert. For the distractions in our journey that make us want to settle for less than getting to the destiny of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That Paul talked about in Philippians. To keep us from settling for lesser and lower goals that are satisfying for the moment, but ultimately will not deliver. So today, as we introduce this time and this exercise we're going to try and invite us all into together, we're going to ask three questions. Number one, what do we mean by base camp? Number two, why? Why do I need it? And number three, how do I do it? So first of all, what is base camp? Very quickly. Base camp, what we're talking about as base camp, is a consistent, regular, as daily as possible, time with God, personal practice. 
to help us develop a robust faith in and for real life. A, a daily practice that consists at the core of two things. Reading the Bible and praying. Just two things. That's where to begin. Over and over again, consistently across generations and across cultures, the most common indicator of successfully navigating the journey of life with God, for God, for the long haul, is a daily time to get our heads and hearts higher up the mountain with God. Many of us already do this. We call it by different names. Some of us call it personal devotions. That's what it is. Great. Some of us call it a quiet time. We also use several behavioral kinds of words to describe what we're talking about in base camp. The two most common ones are, are spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits. Those are sort of the, the, the words that are often used today. But we'll be using another word that is also used. And the word we're going to be using is practices. Let me just briefly tell you why. I don't know what you hear when you hear the word disciplines. It's a good word. It, it certainly takes discipline to pull this off. But, but discipline also has come to have a bit of a negative, or should we say a, a shitty connotation, right? But for me, there's a bigger reason why, why I want to use a different term to talk about these practices. Because the real disciplines of spiritual living are not reading a Bible and praying. Those aren't the, the real disciplines of spiritual living. The real disciplines or spiritual living are things like forgiveness, thankfulness, submission, sacrifice, serving, putting others ahead of myself. Those are the disciplines that, that these practices should help us develop and inspire us to push into. And when we call these practices the disciplines, it can sometimes give us a false sense of, of growth and maturity. So that's why, to me, I'd like a better word or a different word than disciplines. Habits. What about habits? Well, the reason I don't like the word habits is that for many of us, including myself, when I call this a habit, I'm setting myself up for failure. Because habits imply that, you know, we, ju it's, it, it just, we just do it automatically. I have never in my life got to the point where I just do it automatically. And when I use the word habits, it sort of makes me feel guilty. What we're talking about is a, is a practice, which, as many of you know, if you have a profession, uh, a practice is about consistent behaviors that you adopt and refine and you practice that, if done well, will help you deliver and produce properly. So here's what we'll be doing. The next four Sundays will involve some, some basic base camp teaching in our Sunday mornings. Today, we're going to do a big picture overview, but primarily today, we're going to focus on the why question. Next Sunday, Sid Coop, who's our youth ministry architect overseeing our youth ministry here at Ellerslie, uh, will be coming in to teach us about making the Bible, the reading of the Bible, doable, effective, and relevant. And then uh, Sunday after that, we're going to talk about prayer, how to, how to incorporate prayer into a daily base camp practice. And then the fourth thing is how to involve others on this journey with you. Okay, those are the four Sundays. And th that's a basic overview of what base camp is and what we're going to be doing. 
and, and we're going to actually, over the next several weeks, roll out a, an idea for how to make some commitments together on that. Uh, but let's explore for the rest of, most of the rest of our time this morning that question, why base camp? Grab your Bible or take your Bible app and open, to, uh, open it to uh, Psalm 16. If you don't have an app on your, on your smartphone, download the one that's listed there, uh, the Bible, and... Um, Turn to Psalm 16, which was read earlier in our, our worship time. Many of the Psalms are, 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 are like David's personal base camp journal, right? They, and, and other people, they're the result of some of their own reflection with God. Our focus today is going to be on one verse, verse 8, which I hope you basically have memorized by now because you repeated it a couple times. Remember it? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In a cascading kind of way, that verse is a great overview as to what base camp is all about, why I need base camp for the journey. Three answers to the why question from this verse. In, in like I said, a cascading kind of way. Because it's a cascading kind of statement, we're going to start at the end. What's the last phrase? I shall not be shaken. Why base camp? Because I would love to have to be able to live an unshakable kind of life. Wouldn't you? Rattled? It happens. Disoriented and confused? More than I realize. Disappointed? Absolutely. Distracted? Again, more than I want to admit. But none of these things have to shake us at the foundations if we maintain a strong foundation. And that's what base camp is all about. You can't, you can't prevent life com from coming at you. You can't predict what life will come at you. You can't dictate and determine what it will be. But you can prepare for the life that will come at you, often from your blind side. The easy way to try to take on life and the easy way to, to do this relationship with God peace in life is to, is to simply look for an easier life, right? When we are shaken, we excuse ourselves because, well, it wasn't what I expected. It was, it was harder than I thought it would be. I couldn't resist it. And when we do pray, our prayer is focused on, please, God, give me this. Remove that. Change that. Or change them, Right? Our excuse is, I fell, I stopped, because something in life was too difficult, too much, over the top. Can you see yourself there? That's not life, and that's not life with God. God is not about giving us a smoother journey. He's about giving us strength, unshakableness for the journey. That's why base camp, because life is not always beautiful. It's not always easy. It's not always smooth. Like a mountain which requires more preparation than we realize. Listen to this statement from an from a Everest expedition company talking about the importance of preparing for the journey. You are not running a marathon. You are hiking up and down the side of big mountains en route to, Ever en route to Everest with weight on your back. Some days are longer than others. That's life, right? Paul, 
When he, when he answered Jesus' call to follow him, he, he took on a calling of Everest proportion. Toward the end of his life, he writes to the church at the city of Corinth. He says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but never in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not knocked out. And base camp is absolutely crucial to life that is never shaken. Knocked down, but not taken out kind of life. That's the kind of life I want, don't you? Do, do you have base, base camp practices to prepare you for that kind of a journey? Okay, but why base camp? Why is regular, daily, quiet time with God practices important to develop a robust, never-be-shaken kind of life? So, let's go back one phrase in our text for the next level of why. Because He is at my right hand, I will never be shaken. I will never be shaken because I see God at my right hand. Why base camp? Because I need to know experientially the witness of God. And base camp is the best way to know and keep reminding myself of that. God, right there with me at my side. Base camp is about engaging personally and experientially God's witness. If you've been granted the privilege of having and, and, and have done the work of maintaining a, a good marriage, you, you have a little idea what this means on a human level. There, there are so many times when both LaDonna and I have been part for a bit, and sometimes a week, sometimes even two weeks, and, and when whoever's gone comes back home, one of the first things we both say to each other is, wow, that was a tough week without you there. I can handle it way better when you're around. But one of the things we've both experienced, we've experienced partially out of, out of disciplined, or at least semi-disciplined base camp practices, is that it can be just as real and just as powerful that even when my human partner is not there, I can handle it because God is there at my right hand. The God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So many of us waste our one-on-one -on -one time that we do have with God by spending, begging, uh, spending that time begging God for an easier journey, right? Asking Him to, to show He is who He is by giving us some sign, the sign being an easier journey in some way, or that the journey's going to get easier, rather than using that time to see and meet with the God who was with us on the journey, guiding, strengthening, warning, encouraging, comforting, preparing us for the journey. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, which Pastor Dave taught through a couple months back, we have the statement, even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but... Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. 
Those who wait on God will have strength for the journey. That's a beautiful description of the unshakable life that we have when we're waiting on God. Wait on God, not wait for God. Wait on God. What's waiting on God? Well, it's, it's simply disciplining my head and my heart to see Him there and rest in Him. To lean on Him. To reflect in my heart what it means that he is at my right hand attached to me he's not going to fall and so if I'm really attached to him I will not fall and if, even if I do stumble his hand will hold me some of our songs that we sang this morning reminded us of that God and worked them into our minds and hearts again in renew we sang unstoppable God good good father Here in traditions, how majestic is your name. Great is your faithfulness. Songs that we can call our heart to sing all week long. Truth about who God is, the God who is with us and for us. Words that come from the word. Reflections on the word from God about the God who is at my right hand. Good music gives you songs to remember in your base camp time. And sing from your heart all day long. Why do I need base camp? Because I want an uns- to live an unshakable life and to live an unshakable life. I need to regularly, personally, intentionally call my heart to, to hear the strengthening voice and experience the power of the witness of the God who is there, here at my right hand. But as we take one more step back in our text... We see that we need base camp for more than just seeing God with me in an I know that he's there when I need him sense. So let's face it, (laughs) that is the way most of us live, sometimes more intentionally than we want to admit, sometimes just slipping into living that way. It's our default mode. I know he's there when I need him as a backup, right? Let's talk about the first line in that verse It's not just about seeing God as with me. Base camp is a time to do what I should be doing regularly, and that is setting the Lord always before me. I have set. And that word actually literally means to adjust, to put back into a place that fits I have set the Lord in the place that fits right before me, ahead of me, regularly, always. Always implies consistently, regularly. I have spent a lifetime of setting the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be be shaken. Now, because he said, I have set him before me, a lot of the current translations take this word picture and that's what it is. It, this psalm, is, as you read it, it's filled with word pictures. Um, but, but because he says, I have set him in front of me, a lot of the current translations take this word picture and translate it as, as a seeing kind of thing. NIV, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. New Living Translation, I know the Lord is always with me. The Christian Standard Bible, I keep the Lord in mind always. Net, which is one of my favorite translations, New English translations, I constantly trust in the Lord. Now, all of those are true statements. 
They're not wrong theology. They're right. They're biblical. They're just not quite fully what this statement is saying. This is a word picture. And one of the principles of understanding what the Bible means is, is to recognize that often the text will tell you exactly what the author means by this word picture. And especially in, the, in a poetic book like the Psalms, with a lot of these word pictures, it's often the phrase after it that fleshes out that word picture. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will never be shaken. Now, now wait a minute, Psalmist, you're mixing, you just give me another word picture. Yes, he is. So what is it? Is he ahead of me or is he beside me? Right? Well, he's both. Maybe that's the point. He's in front of me, he's beside me, he's underneath me, he's above me and behind me, he's everywhere. Well, that's true. I, as he says in another place, I can't escape his presence. The psalmist says that, but that's not the point in this verse. The reason we know that's not the point is because everybody knew what that next word picture meant, the one that we sort of just talked about and we gave part of it. He is at my right hand. The point of that expression in the ancient Near East was not just a he's right beside me kind of thing. The expression he is at right my right hand, now I'm sorry for those of you who are left-handed, but most people in those days were right-handed. The right hand was the hand of power, the hand of authority, the hand that is the go-to hand for getting things done. It's not simply seeing God beside me. It's setting God at the place. Yeah, I see him ahead of me, but I have set him at the place at my right hand where he is in charge. I have allowed him to be in charge. It's not simply seeing God like a, like a hovering mother with a toddler at the playground ready to rescue. If the No, no, no. It's more than that. The place of authority, place of control. I have set the Lord always continually before me at the head. To be at the head is what we would say when he says at the right hand. Because that's where I continually set him, I will never be shaken. So why base camp? Bottom line is a daily time to make sure I am resetting the order of things that so easily slide. I need to do that continually, always, because, well, I will always continually live in the presence of three forces that erode the right-hand position and power of God in me. In, in, the, in the Bible, those three forces are, are called by three names. The world, the world around me, the the. The, the flesh in me, my natural tendencies, and the devil who is against God in me. All bombarding my heart with messaging that says, ah, have it your way today. Look at this. Don't you want to feel that? You can go for that. You deserve this. Why not that? I can't trust my heart. My heart deceives me more than I realize, and I can't trust my own head. It confuses me more than I want to admit. That's why I need base camp, not just to quiet my heart, 
but to calm my mind and empower my will to say, no, I do not want to be shaken, and I don't have to be shaken, of course, because I am putting the Lord at my right hand. I'm putting him there again today. And when I do that, using the word of God, what I get is two things. I get perspective on how to look at life. And I get directives for how to take on life. You will not see him there powerfully and personally and fully unless you set him there continually and consistently. You can't escape these forces. You can only override them as you set the Lord always before you at your right hand. Actually, the psalmist alludes to those forces around him um, as, a, as a need to reset the, the, the button to say, I have set the Lord always before me, because in the verses previous to that, he talks about some of the challenges of life. Those who run after other gods. Other things that become authority or idols in my life that I feel I have to submit to in order to get things my way. Those who run after other gods, and then he talks about giving priority to the Lord who counsels me. On this journey, there are other gods and there are other guides, authorities in life whose respect we want or whom we respect more than the God who keeps us from being shaken, right? I love the way the German theologian of a, of a former generation, Karl Barth, puts it. He says, take your Bible and take your newspaper, but interpret the newspaper from the Bible. You've got to know what's going on. You've got to see what's going on, but you've got to interpret what's going on through the lens of the Word of God regularly. Or as Ziegler, Zig Ziglar says, I read the paper every day and the Bible every day. That way I know what both sides are up to. Right? The psalmist understood what the journey was, the mountain he was really climbing. You see, the journey of setting the Lord always before me is actually a journey from unbelief to belief. That's not a one-time thing. We don't cross a watershed, okay, now I believe fully. No, no. It's always a journey from unbelief to belief. Like the, the man who talked to Jesus who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. I want to believe. I want to believe fully. I, I'm not quite there yet. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 14, whatever is not out of faith is sin. We fall short if we're not fully into belief mode. A lot of us, the journey we're on, not intentionally, but the journey we've drifted onto, we always drift onto, is, is a journey of learning to fake belief. We learn church language. We do church rituals, even, even base camp practices. But what we're doing is outward things to fake belief. Authenticity is, is, is the, journey toward, uh, the, the, the journey toward authentic belief is resisting the drift toward fake belief. Seeing the other gods and other guides that we're walked into. Now, to, to, to show you what I mean by that, let's go back to that great and powerful pump me up promise that we read from Isaiah chapter 40. Remember, Isaiah 40 ends with that statement. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll run and not be weary, walk and not faint, mount up with wings like eagles. A great picture 
of the unshakable life, right? Sometimes we don't look at the context of that statement. It comes at the end of a very hard-hitting chapter on the functional unbelief, the fake belief of God's people. And in verse 9, he says, you guys, here is your God. Look at him. He comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. He tends his flock like a shepherd and carries them close to his arm. Verse 12 of of Isaiah. Listen, Listen to some of these statements. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Are you telling God what to do? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? My, if only God knew as much as I do. Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Before him, the nations are as nothing. With whom will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions it with silver. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all this? Because of his great power and mighty strength, nothing is missing. Why do you complain? Oh, Jacob, why do you say, O Israel, My way is hidden from God. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And on and on. Let me just share with you one little tool that you can use in in your base camp practice, whatever it is, to help you move along in that journey of from unbelief to belief. I, I read recently and did some reading recently as I was thinking of this base camp thing, a couple of books, and one of them is a book by Tim Chester called You Can Change. Another one is a book by Caesar Kalinowski called Bigger Gospel. Both of them talk about the same things. They, they borrow, Kalinowski borrows it from Chester. They, they talk about four essential life-changing truths about God. Number one, God is great. Two, God is glorious. Number three, God is good. And number four, God is gracious. Each of these point to some pretty specific areas in our struggle from unbelief to belief, our daily struggle. How would I live today if I really believe God is great, like we read in Isaiah? Because God is great, I do not have to be in control. He is, even as we saw several years ago from the book of Daniel, he is even in control of the one we think is in control. So the questions we ask ourselves as we discover how great is and how he has controlled all of history, even limited himself to enter history to bring us into his limitless life and end us love. Questions like, wow, how am I trying to control others and even my own life instead of resting in his control? 
Why am I worrying, stressing, and wearing myself out in busyness and frustration and demandingness? Why am I afraid of what's happening in the world? Why am I afraid of other people? Why do I always see things as control issues? I have one who is in control. He is great. How would I live today if I really believe God is glorious? If God is glorious, it means like he is, he is worthy and worth more than everything. So why do I have to pursue my own unworthiness or my own worthiness? Why do I think I deserve more? The glorious God who is at my right hand is the only thing, the only one who is truly worthy, and he declares me to be worthy in Jesus. I do not have to have an identity to make me feel worthy in anything and anyone but him. That's part of the journey of unbelief to full belief. How do I need to grow in living as if I believe God is good? Oh my, there's a, there's a list there, isn't there? Sure, God is good to others, but not me. He's indifferent to my cause, as Isaiah says, right? What's that all about? That's about comparing. Comparing. How do you need to change your line? The natural line of saying, you know, if God is good, he would. To saying, oh, I know God is good because. A good base camp helps you change that line daily from unbelief to belief. How do I live if I really believe God is gracious? Well, I don't have to. I don't have to fake where I'm at. I don't have to prove myself. I can, I can live by the rhythm of, of repenting, facing squirt myself squarely in the mirror and acknowledging my shortcomings and, and acknowledge his unbelievable, absolute commitment to forgive me when I acknowledge my failure. Where are you on the journey of unbelief to belief today? Do you have a base camp that's helping you address those? So, why base camp? Because what I really want is an unshakable life, not, not to be blown over by the first wind against me that, that does not topple me when I'm hit by something difficult that's not distracted by the latest shiny bobble promise of the guru du jour, right? I need base camp because I don't want to be shaken. I need base camp because in order to live that, I need the consistent discipline of seeing the great, glorious, good, and gracious God who is not only there, but He is with me. I need Him because, need base camp because in order to see Him there authentically, I need to regularly set Him there and remind myself that I have set Him before me to get His perspective and to go with His directives because I have set Him at my right hand and seen Him as he is. I need base camp. Don't you? So, let's get down to some nuts and bolts here for a few minutes and just talk briefly about how I can do that. Some of you are doing this regularly. Some of you hopefully uh, can mix it up a little bit with some, some other stuff to keep it relevant. Let's go back to our base camp def definition. Base camp is a, a consistent, regular, daily time with God. Some practices that help me develop a robust faith in and for real life, to make that life unshakable. How do I do that? Well, for some of us, it's like, 
I'm supposed to add that into my day? Right? Well, how about replanning your day and carving out 15 minutes? Can you do 15 minutes? Can you plan 15 minutes into your day? Maybe not, maybe not 15. Maybe start with 10. I'll go with 10, okay? If you restructured your day just a little bit, can you, can you start with 10 minutes and, and make a commitment to do, okay, I've got a 10-minute time here. So when in my day could I set aside 15 minutes for a regular base camp time? And, and, and the goal, maybe set a goal of four times a week. Maybe start with three, but it, it, I, I, I think it'd be better if we had more days on than off. So try four, but three. Put it into your calendar. Talk to, you know, hold your partner accountable. No, not, 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 not hold. Just inform your partner so that he or she knows what's going on. So the question for this week is, where in my day could I set aside 15 minutes? For some of us, maybe it means getting up 15 minutes earlier. Maybe. And for some of us, that might mean if I'm going to get up 15 minutes earlier, you know what, I don't have to watch that last 20 minutes of TV, right, at night. Work on it. What, what about replacing the 15 minutes that you read the news feed when you drink your coffee in the morning, replacing that with base camp? So it's not adding it to your day, it's just putting it into a place. When LaDonna was in a very challenging period in her career with more to do that was possible than was possible, with more weight than was bearable, there was a period of time when she had to get up at 3.30 in the morning to fulfill the obligations of one job so that when the real day started on her other job, she could do it. She had, she had to, I helped her with this. I, I had resigned from my role and my full-time job was helping her fulfill her jobs. She had to drink her coffee as I took her to work and at her desk at work. Where would she have time for spiritual practices? Well, she had 15 minutes sitting at her dressing table, fixing her hair and photoshopping her face where she would, she would listen to the Bible being read by a very majestic and expressive British voice. Usually a chapter, she could get a chapter in 15 minutes. She would listen to that. It would guide her thinking. And she would pray with her eyes wide open, sometimes really wide open in the magnifying mirror looking into the mirror, every day on the way to work, she would repeat to me a key insight that she had gained from her reading that day. If it's a priority, we can fit it in somehow, right? The model in her life was her mother. At 40 years old, her mother was blessed with twin boys. She already had a full life being a mother of two growing girls and a wife to a busy man. How could she fit it all in, including her spiritual practices? She realized that there was one time in the day when she was quiet and alone. It was in the middle of the night after she had done the nighttime nursing of the twins. And nobody could rob her of that time. And since she was still a little bit awake, for that period of her life, that was her base camp time, two in the morning. If living an unshakable life was where you want to be, we can find time, right? So what does it look like? Well, it needs a structure. You can't just wing it and just, it, it's got to have a structure, a system. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, a plan. Let, we're going to flesh it out, but let me just begin by laying out a, a, a quick structure. 
Number one, if you want to spend 15 minutes, how do you spend it? Number one, you've got you to focus. Get your head and heart where you want them to be. So a focusing prayer, you might use a verse like the verse of today. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I, I usually have a, a verse. So it's not monthly. It's not whatever. But I, I have something that I'm focusing on as a, as a vision. And I, I focus with that. Then uh, you have eight minutes of reading, reading the Bible not reading about the Bible from somebody else, not listening to a talk about the Bible, some blog. Get into the Word yourself. Next week, Sid Coop will give us some teaching about how to do that simply and do it well. And then five minutes of concerted prayer. In two weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like. Let me tell you about one more thing we'll be doing starting next week. For, for three Sundays, we're going to be doing a survey about our spiritual practices. Totally anonymous, but, but we'd like us just to find out where we all are with these practices right now. And then we're going to report the results of that survey to you. Eight weeks later, we're going to do another survey just to see if we're up in our game. And our, our, we're planning on doing that same survey twice a year for three years, just to see how we're doing, just to help and, and, and remind us about these practices. Why? Because the base camp practices are the measure of our spirituality? No. Because Bates Camp practices are a key means to growing in our life with God. They don't produce growth automatically. Base Camp creates a greenhouse, an atmosphere in which growth can occur as we use them to set the Lord always before us at our right hand so that we will not be shaken. Why Base Camp? Because no matter how long you've been on the journey, God is not finished with you. There's still more mountain to climb. LaDonna and I had our 91-year-old father here for 10 days over Christmas and New Year's. He's had a tough year saying farewell to his wife and close partner for over 16 years ago, one year ago this week. Totally rocked his world. And then less than four months later, he suffered a minor stroke in an area of the brain that didn't affect his physical body, but it affected his thinking and his emotions. It's thrown him. And yet when we asked him if, he, if coming to Edmonton from Vancouver might be good for him, he said, you know, I think I'm ready for that challenge. He came. And while he was here, there was one thing he asked us to help him with. In spite of Edmonton winter, he wanted to maintain his 4,000 steps a day challenge that he had given himself. Armed with his Fitbit and his iPhone, he's still committed to the climb and being ready for it in every way. And only two of those days, we did it in a mall. The rest of it was in the Edmonton winter. Together, we did it. One of the reasons he's keeping his head and heart together is he's lived a lifetime of having a solid personal base camp. This is not his journey. It's the journey God has put him on, and he wants to finish well. Don't you? Don't you? We can do it together. If you have any questions about this over the next while, we put, put together an email. Feel free to email some questions that you want us to address during this time and, uh, or just talk to you personally about. We'd be glad to talk to you about Basecamp at erbc.ca. God bless you. Let's do Basecamp together.